here tonight. David and Kelly are way on a, a little getaway, and he asked me to fill in for him tonight. I think for the past two or three Wednesdays, he's been more or less on a theme concerning uh, different uh, things that would cause problems with one's faith, with a person coming to faith, or with a person maintaining his faith and not losing it. And uh, as a part of that, he asked me to do a lesson tonight on the problem of evil. And uh, he asked me to do this Sunday. So, uh, maybe this will make sense. To begin with, there's, there's no way in 45 minutes to... Uh, do justice to this topic. And I'm not going to attempt to be anywhere near exhaustive. What I'd like to do is just look at it as if we were getting in a helicopter or one of these little hover things uh, and go up in the air and sort of get a, a bird's eye view of of evil from the beginning and its progression through Bible times and even to the present day, and to get a, a sort of a bird's eye view of, of the thing. So, uh, before we begin, I'll ask us to have prayer, and uh, Mark, would you lead us, please, sir? I'd appreciate it. Uh, again, I'm going to, as I've done before, suggest that uh, when I am uh, citing scripture that you listen. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture uh, tonight, and uh, I'm going to be doing good to get what I've got here in in, in 45 minutes. So uh, you might want to, if you, if you want to look at this further as we go, just jot down the references as, as I give them, but otherwise it might be best just, just to listen. So why is there evil in the world? And that's the question we're going to be looking at. And maybe a good place to begin is just with the definition of evil. Uh, boiling it down to uh, its basic evil is that which is morally wrong or sinful, the opposite or the absence of good. 
So since God is good and the measure of goodness, then evil is essentially that which goes against his nature and his ways. Evil, of course, is synonymous with sin. So that's sort of a definition, a working definition. Of course, the existence of evil in the world is a reality uh, that is acknowledged by all. I mean, it's just so blatantly obvious that there is evil in the world. And because of this, for many, many years, atheists have used the presence of evil as an argument against the existence of God. The argument uh, goes somewhat like this, that if God is good and all-powerful, then how can there be evil in the world? And since there is evil, there must be no God. Or some agnostic might say, if there is a God, he must not be good or all-powerful because of the existence of evil. Sometimes it's even come down to believers, Christians, and sometimes believers have come to question God because of all the evil in the world. A, a lot that uh, we see and observe and try to analyze, and we come up empty, we, we can't see the sense of it so many times. So while not disavowing God's existence, some have charged God with being unfair. Uh, we have, uh, in recent weeks, made mention of Job and different aspects of that uh, episode in the Old Testament. He never gave up his belief in God, but he certainly questioned God. Is, is this fair? Sometimes we hear... Uh, People ask, where is God? Why did God let this happen? When there is a catastrophe, when there is a mass shooting, we hear those every week. Where was God when that happened? And in the extreme, some believers have gone beyond just questioning and actually lost their faith due to the presence of evil in the world. So let's get into this and see if we can uh, somehow get a bird's eye view, the biblical view of evil, and somehow make sense out of it. We all know that evil did not exist in the beginning. As God was creating everything, he continually said, it is good. And God saw that it was good. And a part of creation, as we all know, was the freedom of choice. Sometimes we call it free moral agency, and we know what we're talking about there. So evil came to exist in the world because some of God's creatures chose to rebel and continue choosing to rebel against God. 
So we as Christians do need to understand how and why evil came to exist in order to answer both our questions and those of unbelievers. I want us to look at three points tonight as we progress. First, I want us to consider the beginning and progress of evil. Second, I want us to look at God's plan to rescue humanity from evil. And then thirdly, God is ultimately in control over evil. So we'll get started with this first point, the beginning and progress of evil. Before there were men and women, creatures, we know that God created angels. And he created angels and man when he would later come along with the freedom to choose to obey him or not to obey him. And the first creature that chose to rebel against God was an angel named Satan and other angels that joined his rebellion. There are two very interesting uh, passages in the Old Testament that we believe actually is a description of Satan and how he came to be evil. And I'd like to uh, just take a few minutes, or hopefully not a few minutes, but just a few seconds to read these two scriptures. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nation. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. The other one is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 18. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. Now this is in reference to what is said in the context, the king of Tyre. But most do believe that this in actuality is a description of, of Satan and what becomes of him. So beginning with verse 12, Ezekiel 28, Son of man, take up lamentations for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, 
the sardis, topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So perhaps this is a double prophecy in many ways, actually describing the king of Tyre, but also, as we said, given a description of Satan. So Satan, therefore, became the author of evil. So humans followed when Eve chose to believe Satan's deception, and Adam willingly chose to partake of her sin there in Genesis chapter 3. The book of Genesis recounts the rapid growth of evil in the world. In Genesis 4, there is Cain murdering Abel and then lying about it. About a thousand years after creation, evil had exploded, as it were, causing God to bring about the flood, as we read about in Genesis 6 through 9. And then shortly after the flood, we see sin again. You recall that Noah, in Genesis 9, got drunk and exposed himself inappropriately. Evil is seen again in the motives for building the Tower of Babel, as we read in Genesis chapter 11. And rather than fill the earth as God had instructed back in Genesis 9, God confused their language and scattered them. And in doing so, he limited evil, but it still was there. So that's sort of a a very, very brief sketch of the beginning and the progress of evil in the world. So the second point that we're looking at is God's plan to rescue humanity from evil. Now we know in Genesis 3.15, the first mention of uh, Messiah, 
that there is prophesied that uh, the seed of woman would produce a child and that Satan would bruise his heel, but he would crush its head. And we know that to be foreshadowing uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, so after the Tower of Babel, after a few hundred years from that time, God set in motion this plan that was first mentioned there in chapter 3 of Genesis, his plan to rescue humanity from evil. He called Abraham, from whom he would set aside a people for himself. And centuries after Abraham, God did rescue his people from slavery in Egypt and gave them the law through Moses. And from Abraham's family, the Jews, would come Jesus who would rescue the world from evil. Three scriptures that I'll read in this regard, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be, uh, shall be blessed. Coming to the New Testament, John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then finally in Galatians 3, verse 16 and 26 through 29. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto all springs, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you all were sons of God through faith. <coughs> For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. <coughs> Excuse me. So though evil has been rampant throughout history, God has always provided a way of forgiveness. Always it's been by God's grace through obedient faith. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. A little bit of a lengthy scripture again, but notice the wording here. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, thank you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And so God's plan to rescue humanity from sin. The Bible provides examples of this rampant evil and its destructiveness, but the Bible also gives abundant examples of God's grace and mercy. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible also teaches God's judgment on evil and on those who continue to reject them. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, the Bible says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So if evil is so destructive and God has provided a means of rescue, why is there still so much evil in the world today? Still, it, it's, a, it's, an illegitimate, it, it's a legitimate question. Mankind will just give maybe three of many answers to this. Why is there still so much evil in the world today? For one thing, mankind still has a sinful nature. We're not perfect. Only Christ as man was perfect. Another point that can be made is that God is patient. Notice with me 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And thank goodness our God is a patient God. 
He is wanting to save as many from evil as possible. God has not yet brought his full judgment against evil because he wants many more people to come to repentance. And praise God for that. So we have seen then the beginning and the progress of evil. We have seen God's plan to rescue humanity from evil, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's spend the rest of our time tonight looking at the third and last point. God is ultimately in control. He is over evil. Satan's power, as we know, was greatly diminished at the cross when Christ crushed his head. But Satan still has influence in the world. I often contemplate the evil that we do see in the world all around us, on the news every day, and wonder, you know, how much longer will God hold his, his patience? But then I, I get to thinking about Noah's time and that thousand some odd years after creation before the flood and what caused God to bring the flood. And I have to conclude, uh, we ain't seen evil yet. We haven't really seen evil. Maybe we're approaching it, but it's not what it was in pre-Diluvian days. So God is patient. But Satan is still here. He roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the hearts of mankind still turn against God. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the hearts of mankind still turn against God. People still willingly reject the truth of God. Romans 1 and verse 28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God forces no one. We are free moral agents. We can choose between right and wrong. Forced love and obedience is not genuine, it's not from the heart. Faith and obedience that comes from the heart is what counts. So would people willingly reject the truth of God? Notice uh, the picture of evil in our time that Paul paints in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 3. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, evil. And which of these do we not see in our present day and time? Satan is still here. He is still very influential. And this is a picture of evil in our time. So Christians even struggle against the sinful nature. In Romans 7 and chapter 8, Paul goes into great detail talking about the, the struggle, his own personal struggle with overcoming sin and bringing his body under uh, submission. We still go against God, don't we, at times? And as a result, contribute to the problem of evil in the world. I'm talking about Christians now. We still, at times, either consciously or subconsciously, will go against God at times. And as a result, we ourselves contribute to the problem of evil in the world. And so, thank God, thank God that the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from sin. We're familiar, and it's one of my favorite passages, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And you have heard it in lessons before, and you don't have to be a Greek scholar to uh, read and understand this, but we understand that the verb tense here in the original language is active. But if we keep on walking in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son literally keeps on cleansing us from sin, and thank God for that. And that's what give us, gives us blessed assurance. And uh, David has brought some very good lessons in recent times about our assurance and the promises of God and the coming of Jesus and dying on the cross for our sins in order to make those assurances sure. So we thank God. And in Christ Jesus, this enables us to put our evil deeds to death and live in his ways. Notice what is said in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Again, a little bit of a lengthy passage, but well worth making the point that we're looking at here. In Christ, God enables us to put our evil deeds to death and live in his ways. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do 
and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have learned, heard about him, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Thanks be to God for that. Because we are in Christ. Because God's word dwells within us, because God's spirit dwells within us, we can, through Christ, overcome evil. Now, we need to understand that evil will persist until Christ returns. That's a fact. It's not going away. It's going to be with us to the end. We can rest assured that God allows no more evil than will ultimately play into his good and perfect purposes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you, but that is, uh, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So God gives those who are determined to do evil, he gives them over to do what they want. And that, that is a righteous God saying this. He not, he's not going to force anyone He's going to lay out the opportunity, salvation. But there is evil in the world. Satan is still around. You've got to choose to obey or to disobey. 
And so to those who are determined to do evil, God is not going to prevent them. He will allow them to do what they want. Notice what is said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, though God never authors or creates or applauds evil, he is able to use it to his good ends for his purpose. My favorite scripture in all of the Bible is Romans 8, 28. Let me go ahead and read verses 29 and 30 as well, as, along with a couple of other scriptures along this line. Emphasizing that God never creates evil, but he is able to use evil to his purposes. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So very quickly, let's just try to wrap all uh, this up with some concluding remarks. Let me see if I can do this in the time that we have left. God created everything good, including freedom of choice. But man rebelled. Man chose to not obey. That's a fact. Satan, man, and nature as a result, were cursed. There was no death before the fall. Now, God does not cause the evil. Very important. God does not cause the evil. 
but he does control the outcome when evil happens. That's very important. God is ultimately in control over evil. How God can do this really is above our pay grade, beyond our comprehension, but that doesn't make it untrue. It is truth. Only Christianity can explain the problem of evil in the world. If you don't have a good creator and a fall, then what's running the universe is random chance or an evil being. People in rebellion against a good God explains the evil acts of men. And that's putting it down in just about the most simplest form that I can get it. Explaining evil in the world. People in rebellion against a good God explains why they do evil. And along with that, in parallel, a fallen creation. Creation was cursed because of evil. A fallen creation explains disasters and calamities and suffering. And that's the area where a lot of times, especially suffering, that we as Christians sometimes may, at least in our minds, think, well, where is God? Where is God right now? Why did this happen? So what is our response to evil? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we will close with these thoughts from the Apostle Paul. Our response to evil from Romans chapter 12. Three verses there. Verse number 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That has to be our response to evil. We've got to abhor it and hold fast as tightly as possible to what is good. Come down to verse 17. Our response to evil, repay no one evil for evil. Let's not be caught using Satan's tactics. Yes, evil is done to each and every one of us as we live our lives. Uh, ill is done to us. We're cheated. We're done very badly. But we cannot begin to do evil in return. So that has to be a response. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Then finally, down to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. Now, isn't that simple but profound? As Christians who live in Christ, we have the ability to overcome evil. We're not going to be completely successful. We are sinful. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why the blood of Jesus continues to flow because we're not perfect. And even though we are trying, we will still sin from time to time. But we can overcome evil through God, living and working through us. And we do it with good. In exchange for evil, instead of repaying evil for evil, we overcome evil with good. Another scripture talks about heaping coals of fire upon the heads of those who would rail against us and do ill will toward us. And in return, we do good to them. There is nothing that they can accuse us of. So we overcome evil by good deeds. So looks like I barely made it. It's a, a whole lot of material to cover. And I, I hope that maybe I've touched enough of the surface of this to, to give us a little bit of understanding about uh, why is there evil in the world? Why is it so if we have a good and gracious God? We have Jesus Christ and Satan will one day be cast into that place that has been, prayer, been prepared for him from the beginning and we will enter into the gates of heaven where there is no evil, no thought, concern of evil. I would open it up for questions, but it looks like we're a minute over, so I won't. Thank you for your attention.